Our Savior said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think one of the biggest burdens that we carry is the burden of guilt. And we all do it from time to time. Our past, those mistakes, those wrongs. Aren't you glad that his mercy endureth forever? There'll never be a time that I fail, that I can't go to my father and confess my sin and find mercy. What a good God. Thank you for that song, Brother Adam. Uh, that touched my heart, and I appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, could you turn to the book of James? You were at Matthew. Please keep your place there. We're going to go back. But look at the book of James, chapter number 1. James, chapter number 1. In verse number 12, James teaches us, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James is teaching us about this endless struggle that every human being deals with, the struggle with temptation and sin. It's been going on in the human race ever since the Garden of Eden when the serpent first held out the first temptation to Eve in that sacred place. The Bible says, that, uh, verse number 14, but every man is tempted. Right then and there, you need to understand there's no exceptions to this. Every person is tempted. Matthew chapter number four, where we'll go back in just a few moments, even the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was tempted. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Hebrews, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. If the devil would have the audacity to try to attempt the Son of God to, to get him to do wrong, you got to understand he's not worried about you and I. He will come after us with everything that he's got. And the Bible says that every man is tempted. And that is not just talking about males. That's talking about every single human being is tempted. The Bible says also in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We're all tempted, but not all with the same things. Um, there are some that you struggle with one particular vice or issue where someone else, it's not a problem. I was raised in a home where there was never alcohol present when I grew up. It just wasn't something that we did. And as we got a little bit older, uh, we, were, we were taught that if we ever messed with it, my father would just beat us silly. Uh, and I, we kind of believe he might just do that. Uh, the, the, the warnings were there. And I thank God for that, that I didn't grow up around it and that I had parents that did instill within me a healthy fear, stay away from that. So it's, it's not a struggle for me. But there are other people that it is. 
It is. That doesn't mean that I'm more spiritual than anyone else. It just means that's not my own lust. That's not what I struggle with. You say, what do you struggle with? That's none of your business. Um, I can probably point you to some people who can tell you all my flaws, and uh, you can figure it out, but, we, but we've all got them. We've all got something that we struggle with. Job was the greatest, most spiritual man of his generation. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 that there was none like him in all the earth. He was a just man, one that feared God and eschewed or shunned evil. He was the greatest of the men of the East. In his generation, he was, by God's standard, if you will, the best Christian of his day and age. But do you realize that even that great and godly man yielded to the sin of self-righteousness? By the end of his story, the Bible says he was righteous in his own eyes. And he had allowed the situations that he found himself in, the influence of his so-called friends and so forth, and uh, he yielded. Even such a godly man as that yielded to temptation. We're all going to deal with it. We are all tempted. We all have our own unique battle. And by the way, just because someone else has a battle that you do not fight does not make you a better person or a better Christian than they are because you're fighting something they don't even comprehend. Um, we, we need to understand it. Let's level the playing field and realize we're all in this thing together. And our job is not to put down someone because they're having a struggle with it. But our job is to realize, oh, I wonder how I can help them have victory in their struggle. Wouldn't that be a novel way of dealing with that? Now, when we go back to Matthew chapter 4 with that little bit of introduction, we see that our Savior is in the wilderness. It is right after his baptism in the Jordan River. The heavens were opened as Jesus came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was a triumphant day. It was an unusual day. Um, and, and it was the mark of the beginning uh, of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse number one of our text says, Then, right as soon as that event happened, was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. The language of the scripture is important to us. Notice it said, and when the tempter came to him. Beloved, it's not a matter of if you're going to be tempted. It's a matter of when you're going to be tempted. Never get to the place of thinking, well, I've been saved X number of years and, and I've lived a good Christian life. I'm beyond all of that. Job wasn't beyond it. David was, was labeled a man after God's own heart. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yet David was tempted. David wasn't ready for that temptation. David fell into very, very deep sin. If it can happen to David, don't ever think for a moment that it will not happen to you. First Peter chapter number 5, we are taught be sober. That means be serious-minded. It means take this seriously. Don't treat it like it doesn't matter. Don't treat it like, like it's some small thing. Be sober, be vigilant, be 
on guard. Be watching. Your head ought to be on a swivel all the time. Why? For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Um, if, I, I love nature shows. I enjoy watching them. I enjoy shows about the Serengeti. And I hate to say it, I like the ones about the lions and, you know, going after gazelles and wildebeest and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you understand that lions practice great stealth. It's an art form in the way that they hunt. They generally, the, the pride works together in some type of unison. And uh, they are quiet and they are slow and they are stealthy. They know how to use the surroundings to camouflage themselves, to get as close as they possibly can, to find the most unsuspecting of the zebras or the gazelles or whatever the other animal uh, they're, they're, they're uh, stalking is. They, they want to get as close as they can, and then they pounce. They're not there to play with them. They generally don't play with their food. They're there to devour them. And one of the one of the, the the to me the most gruesome aspects of a lion kill is generally one lion has the animal throttled by the throat. The animal is still very much alive, and the rest of the pride is already eating. I'm not trying to be overly graphic. I'm not trying to be inappropriate, but the Bible uses that illustration to help us understand that's what the devil wants for us. He wants us to experience that living death, that suffering, that pain, that fear, and that agony. And that's why the Bible says, be sober, take this seriously, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. The devil is not your friend. He is not trying to help you have fun. He is not trying to help you not miss out on good things. He wants to devour you. And if we truly believe that, we'll take the counsel of the book of James to heart and we'll take the teaching of the book of Matthew to heart and say, how can I avoid that? How can I make sure that I don't get drawn away of my own particular lust, my weakness, my appetite, lest the devil devour me? As we look at the story of the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some things we can observe. I want you to notice, first of all, the tempter came at a time of weakness. The Savior had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Has anybody here ever done that, a 40-day fast? I have a couple of friends who have done so, and they've talked about the physical and the mental and the emotional effects that it has, not to mention the spiritual benefits uh, but it's a time of incredible weakness. Someone that's fasted that long uh, can experience hallucinations. Uh, they're unsteady on their feet uh, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's very, very uh, taxing upon the body, upon all parts of the system. And it's at the end of a 40-day fast in the wilderness that the Bible says, and when the tempter came to him. And the Bible says at the end of that fast, verse 2, he was afterward and hungered. Satan knows what we're hungry for. And we're all hungry for different things. There are people that are hungry for power. And whether it's in the workplace, the church place, wherever it happens to be, they're always jockeying for position and power and prominence. Some people are hungry for revenge. 
There are people that are still living in the past so much and they, somebody did, somebody hurt them and their, their whole life is consumed with revenge. Some people are consumed and hungry for money and all that money can buy. By the way, there's nothing sinful about money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Some hunger for pleasure and uh, they, they, whatever, whatever feels good, they want to do that. Some it's so-called freedom so-called freedom. I don't want people telling me what to do. I, I've actually dealt with people. I thought it was just a sermon illustration, but I've actually dealt with people that have told me I can't wait to get out of my house and my parents' stupid rules. As soon as I graduate from high school, I'm joining the Marines. <laughs> Rebellion makes people stupid. I've actually had people say it. I couldn't believe it. Uh, your, your hunger, whatever it is, is your weak spot. It's your weak spot. Sometimes we've developed appetites because we've dabbled in drugs, alcohol, pornography, and any other number of vices. That's our weak spot. Uh, some, your weak spot is your temper, and it doesn't take a whole lot to set you off. Some, your weak spot is your impatience, and it doesn't take a whole lot to challenge that. And by the way, we all have a weak spot. And the wise person is humble enough and honest enough to recognize that. I, I have a struggle with this. Because you, you see, if you know where your weakness is, you can put in some effort to strengthen or protect that. Because mark it down, the lion's going for the weakest member of the herd. The lion's gonna go for us where we are weak and when we are weak. That's why oftentimes someone that's been in a prolonged health situation and they're physically tired and drained and weak, they're more susceptible to backsliding and falling away from the Lord because the devil just knows he's always watching for that. And that's what he did with the Savior. King Solomon was a brilliant man. When he's a young man, he loved the Lord. That was his testimony. He truly had a love and a zeal for the Lord. But Solomon had a particular weakness, and that was for women. 1 Kings chapter 11 describes that, that, that he loved many strange women. Strange doesn't mean women with three eyes and two heads, okay? It just means non-Jewish girls. They were Gentiles. They were not believers. Uh, they, they were outside of the nation of Israel. Um, and that was his weakness. And the Bible says that his wives changed him and took his heart away from God. And the, the next thing you know, he's worshiping all types of pagan gods and goddesses, building temples to them. And the man who once loved God, who built the great temple of, of Jerusalem, is out building temples for every abomination known to man. And that all came through his weakness his weakness. So when we consider temptation, are we smart enough to know this is where I'm weak? This is where I struggle. By the way, it's not a sign of weakness to admit that you have a weakness. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of intellect. It's a sign of, if you will, wisdom to say, this is where I happen to be weak. The tempter comes, number two, when we're alone. When we're alone, Jesus was out in that wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. There's no evidence anybody was there with him. 
all by himself. You understand that when David was tempted to sin with Bathsheba, he was alone on his rooftop in the middle of the night. Shouldn't have been there. He should have been on the battlefield surrounded by his captains and generals and soldiers. And if David had been there with his men, he wouldn't have been alone to face that temptation. Peter was alone when he stood by the enemy's fire in, in Luke chapter 22, uh, the night before the cross. Now, I realize he had other people around him, but none of them were believers. None of them were followers of Christ. He's all by himself, warming his hands around the, with, the, with the enemies of Christ. And they're looking at him saying, aren't, aren't you one of his disciples? And there was nobody standing there with Peter for him from, uh, from whom he could draw any kind of strength or help. And he said, no, I, I don't know the man. And somebody else affirms, says, surely you're one of them. And he said, no, I, I don't know the man. And finally, the third time he curses and he swears, trying to convince them by his vulgarity that he truly wasn't a, a follower of Christ. He's all by himself. When we're all by ourselves, we're so susceptible. And by the way, there are times we're going to be alone. I got saved at the age of 14 and a half, and two weeks later, I started school in a brand new school. We had moved. I knew nobody there. There were 2,500 students, grades 10 through 12. I was a 10th grader, and I knew no one. I was, I was it. You realize I was completely by myself. Over the course of the next three years, I would be offered drugs. I would be offered alcohol. I'd be exposed to all kinds of false teaching. I would be exposed to all types of immorality, just about every vice you can imagine. Uh, I would be exposed to that. And uh, for the most part, I did find a few other Christians, but in most classes, I was the only one. And sometimes taking a stand when you're all by yourself is very tough, isn't it? It's very hard to say no when everybody else in the group is, is, is doing something they ought not do. The devil likes to watch to find that moment when we're alone. Sometimes you're the, some of you, you're the only Christian in your office or your workplace. You are it. You better be sober and be vigilant because the devil loves to go after us when we're alone. Listen to what Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Two people get a whole lot more work done than one by himself. He goes on to say, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. A couple of weeks ago, we had that snow. Remember the first snow of the season? And uh, I, I came over to the church and I needed to put some trash in the dumpster and, and my son had plowed a little bit so uh, it was clear for me to pull up by the dumpster and, and I got out of my car and I uh, went around the back to get something out and uh, man, I went down and I went down hard. I was just happy it was on the side of the car away from where he was plowing so he didn't see me and go, good one, dad. Um, got myself up. I was in shorts because I was headed off to train at the gym, uh, brushed myself off, got everything out, and I'm headed over to the dumpster, and bam, I went down again, uh, and, and so forth. Uh, nobody there to help pick me up, and try getting up on one of these mechanical messes uh, on ice and snow. I'm glad nobody was there. I'm glad I did not become a YouTube sensation uh, or anything like that. There's just something about when you're by yourself and you fall, 
uh, it's a whole lot harder to get back up again. He writes on in Ecclesiastes 4.11, again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's a strength in being together. That's one of the reasons church is important. You realize when God created Adam, Adam was perfect, perfect body, perfect mind, perfect relationship with God, lived in a perfect world. And yet when God looked at Adam, he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And so God made an helpmeet for him, took a rib and fashioned a woman. It wasn't Adam and Steve. And I don't say that as a joke. It was Adam and Eve. That was God's plan. Because God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. God stated that from the beginning. That's, why, that's one of the reasons church is important. There's a fellowship. There's a strength that comes from being around like-minded people. People that love us. People that pray for us. People that help us when we stumble. Not to tromp us down but to hold that hand out and help us get back up again and go forward. Does anybody need somebody like that from time to time? We need that. But the devil's, the devil's learned, that's why he wants to get us out of sorts with the church. That's why he wants us to get us to stay home. And I'm, I'm not talking about weather and things like that. I mean, we could go, we just don't go. We, we've, he's, he's put something in our mind, it's not that important, but God said it is. Um, we're making ourselves easy pickings. Um, there's something else that happens back in Matthew chapter 3. Can I get you to look there at, again at verse 16? I referred to this, but let's read it. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. What a moment. What a moment. Do you understand John the Baptist had just pointed him out to this crowd, this multitude of people and said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Savior had talked to him and said, well, I want you to baptize me. It, it, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And, and, and Jesus did that. He comes out and, it, it, and the whole Trinity shows up at the baptism of Christ. There's the Son coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And there's the Father speaking from heaven. This is my beloved Son. What a moment. What if you will, a crowning moment. Do you realize up until this moment, Jesus has lived in almost complete obscurity. Other than the night of his birth, there's been no fanfare. Other than the night when the wise men showed up with their gifts, there's been no audience. And it's just been he's blended in with the crowd. And now all of a sudden, uh, he, he has got this stamp of approval from his heavenly father in a public manner. And immediately he's out in the wilderness and he's 40 days and 40 nights. And he's fasting and he's praying. And that's when the tempter came. He came right on the heels of a great victory. That high point, that great moment in his life, the devil's there. Sometimes on the high point, 
Sometimes that moment where the prayer got answered or, or God allowed us to do something or God worked out a situation and we're in the, the mode of praise and rejoicing which we ought to be. We got to be careful because we have a tendency to think when, I, when we're there that we're almost invincible, we're untouchable, nothing could ever change this. You understand the devil loves nothing better than to bring a hero down and make him a nothing. The devil takes great pride and great joy in that. The Apostle Paul was possibly one of the greatest Christians of the New Testament era. Not a perfect man, but, but he was a great Christian. There's no denying that. God used him. God transformed his life. He was a church planter. He was a missionary. He was used to author uh, books of the, of the scripture for us. And yet Paul began to face a situation that I'm not sure he saw right away. He started battling pride. Because you see, when God uses us and we get a certain amount of acclamation and, and recognition for that which we do, without even meaning to, pride can creep into our lives and we can start thinking, yeah, I really am something. Yeah, I really did do a good job. Paul writes about it, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, such a familiar passage of scripture. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was being used of God. He was possibly the most famous of the apostles at this time. He was mightily used of God and recognized all over the ancient world. And that is, that is a prime recipe, recipe for pride. He was, he was about to be exalted above measure and God said, we can't let that happen. And the thorn in the flesh was introduced into his life. He said it twice, lest I should be exalted above measure. Sometimes success is a dangerous place to be. Sometimes success is a dangerous place to be. There was a king in the Old Testament by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah became the king of Judah when he was 16 years old. Do we have any 16-year-olds in here? Any 16-year-olds? Good, then we don't have to worry about one of them becoming king. Could you imagine a 16-year-old king? You're saying, well, I think that might be a good idea. Um, you'll get that later. Um, 16, the, the nations thrust upon him. Um, but he was an amazing, uh, amazing young man. The Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. We had a godly heritage. Moms and dads, the greatest things we give our kids is not a big financial inheritance, but it's a testimony of godliness for them to look at and follow. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And the Bible says this, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. He was rebuilding the walls around uh, the city of Jerusalem, fortifying the nation. There were, there were enemies from without that were poised to try to obliterate Judah, uh, but God's blessing him. The Bible goes on to say in the same chapter, he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, 
His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. God blessed him and blessed him. God prospered everything he did, and he got to that position of strength, and he said, yeah, I'm really something, aren't I? Yeah, I'm really special. God's really uh, pleased with me. And he walked into the temple one day, and in, the, in Jewish uh, culture, by the, by the law of God, the only ones that could go into the temple proper itself were the tribe of Levi. Uzziah was of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't allowed in there. He had to have a priest go in for him. But one day he just decided, I'm the king, and God blesses me, and I walk with God. And he just walked into the holy place all by himself to offer incense. When the priest came to challenge him, he got all upset about it, and God smote him with leprosy. And he himself ran out of the temple and he lived in a little cottage on the back grounds of the palace for the rest of his life. And his son began to, to, to reign de facto in his place. And it was all because he let pride come in. And when he was strong, that became his downfall. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. Jim's story number one. Haven't told any all day long. I'm so proud of myself. A month or so ago, uh, we, we had a particular challenge going on at the, the gym and, and our team with my trainer, Sam, the goal was for every one of us to set a new personal record on what is called the trap lift. It's just a version of the deadlift. Deadlifting is not my thing. Uh, it has been a, a nightmare. It has been my nemesis. Every time uh, Sam said we're going to deadlift, I just wished he'd go away uh, because of the, the, the leg just didn't want to work out. It was just it was a two-year process trying to figure out how to make this thing work on a deadlift. But on that particular Saturday, about a month or so ago, boy, it worked amazingly well. Everything went in, and I set a new personal record. I deadlifted 200 pounds, um, which for a guy that couldn't deadlift 65 uh, not all that long ago, that was kind of a pretty good thing for a guy with one leg. Well, we started the new year, and, and uh, I, I told Sam uh, three goals that I had for the new year, and, uh, and uh, he's the only one that knows what those three are. Uh, one of them was about a new deadlift goal that I wanted to have. Well, last week on Thursday, he said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm feeling good. He said, all right. He said, we're going to deadlift today. He said, in fact, we're going to go back, and, and we're going to see if we can set a new record. It's only been a month. And I said, Okay. So we did the warm-up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I didn't ask him how much weight was on the bar. Uh, he just kept putting plates on there, and I just kept standing there letting it happen. And I, I purposely didn't look down, so I didn't psych myself out on anything. And uh, I got done with a lift and set the thing down. I did two, two uh, reps in a row, and he was video, uh, videoing the whole thing. And he just walked up to me. He goes, you just set a new personal record. He said, you just did 215 pounds. And I'm feeling, yeah. <laughs> he took two little two and a half pound plates and put on each end. He added five pounds. He said, okay, let's go for it. I couldn't get that up for all the money in the world. Three tries. The last time I got it up about three inches and I just ran out of steam and it slammed down. Uh, and uh, that's called going to fail. You know, you know why that's important? So you don't get a big head. 
See, I, I kind of lost my bragging rights on a, a new personal record because I failed right after that at five pounds more. That keeps you humble. It was that reality check. And you see, you and I need to watch out for pride. The devil loves to find that opportunity to get in and say, well, aren't you special? Aren't you important? What would they do without you? You be careful. Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that for a moment? Um, uh, you, you had some success, you won somebody to Christ. Man, you're an awesome soul winner. There's probably nobody in church like you. Be careful. Pride is a destructive thing all the time, and the devil will come in after that. And so we see the Savior. At a moment of weakness, he is alone. We see there's a great victory, and then the tempter comes. Now, we need to kind of end it up here this morning how did the Savior overcome all of this? Remember, we're all tempted. We're all tempted. We can not only see from the story in Matthew chapter 4, the devil comes when we're weak, and the devil comes when we're alone, and the devil often comes on the heels of a great victory when pride is starting to become an issue in our lives, and he takes advantage of that. How do, how do we survive temptation? How do we endure so that we don't stumble and we don't fall. Let me show you several things from Matthew chapter 4, if you were there. Number one, we're going to all start with the letter C, okay? I do that for Brother Rob, so he, he, he likes alliteration. Number one, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was not there doing his own thing. He was led of the Spirit. He was fasting and praying because he was led by the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Savior, the only begotten Son of God, saw fit to be led by the Holy Spirit, how much more do I need to yield every moment of every day of my life to the Holy Spirit of God? Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I need to every day when I get up, yield myself, dedicate myself uh, to the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of me. Uh, my body is his temple, and I need to acknowledge his ownership, and I need to acknowledge his leadership in my life. And the truth of the matter is, throughout the course of the day, I need to stop and just sort of reset and make sure, Lord, am I still walking in the Spirit? Lord, have I let the flesh get in the way? Lord, have I said or done anything uh, that, that, that's, that's offended or Grieve the Holy Spirit of God. My pastor taught me when I got saved as a teenager, he said, I keep very short accounts with God. He said, several times a day, I will stop and I will ask God, Lord, is there anything I've done that's hurt you? And if God brings something to mind, he said, I'll deal with it right then and there because he said, I don't want the devil to get advantage of me. Be yielded, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Number two, be consumed with the word of God. Every time the devil came to him, Jesus' response was, it is written. And it's more than just being able to quote scripture. I want you to understand, on one of the temptations, the devil quoted scripture. Uh, look, if you would, verse number six, he saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. Did you know the devil knows the Bible? He said, it is written. 
He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. Devil's quoting scripture, but there's a problem. He left part of the scripture out. He left the part out that you're you, you put your trust in God and you love God and you follow God and God will take care of you and these promises will be yours. He left all of that out. He, he just made it sound like it doesn't matter what you do, God won't let you get hurt. God's going to watch over you. He's misquoting the scripture. He didn't fool the Savior at all because the Savior knew the Bible. That's why you and I ought to go to church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. That's why we ought to read the Bible, study, not read books about the Bible. We ought to read the Bible. We need to know the Bible, but we need to do more than that. We need to be convinced that this is the word of Almighty God, that every word of God is pure, that thy word is truth. It is true from the beginning to the ending. It is forever settled in heaven, and we need to have a holy love and reverence and respect for the word of God. We need to love this book. David said, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Um, we, we, this ought to not be a book we tolerate. It ought not be a book that we ignore except on Sundays or something like that. This book ought to be our bread and our meat and our milk and our honey and every other part of our spiritual day. It ought to revolve around the, the, the word of God. David said in Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in mine heart. He did not say in my mind. There's a lot of people who have verses memorized and you can win Bible trivia hands down. There's a difference between having it in your mind and having it in your heart. Having it in your heart means it is your love. It consumes you. It's like when you fall in love with that beautiful girl or that handsome guy and you think about them all the time and you think about ways to make them smile and make them happy and all of those things. David said, that's where I've put the word of God. And my joy is to do it. My joy is to do that which pleases God. And I know what pleases him because of his word. Psalm 37, David also writing said, The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom. His tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. And then it says this, None of his steps shall slide. A man who is truly in love with his wife will never cheat on her. And vice versa. Because that's the way love works. Love thinketh no evil. It's there. Uh, the Savior had the word of God. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be consumed with the word of God. Number three, be consistent in your prayer life. Jesus didn't stop and pray when the devil came after him. He'd been praying for 40 days and 40 nights. A soldier does not start training when the battle starts. If he does, he loses the battle every time. I am, I'm reading a book, working through a book, um, and, and it's called Extreme Ownership. And it's written by two uh, Navy SEALs that served in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, during the Persian Gulf Wars. And uh, they're, they're, they're talking about everything that goes into one day's events in the city of Ramadi. 
uh, and, and all of the planning uh, prior to and even as they're executing the mission, everything that's going on and all the people that are a part of it and, and all the post-operation paperwork and, 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 and analysis and all that goes on about it, long before they ever strike out and say, we're moving in this direction or we, we're going to try to take this building or this street, there, there's already been so many hours of preparation for that. Beloved, we need to understand the devil is coming after us. Every man is tempted. We, we, he wants to draw us away after our own lust. We need to be praying about that now. That's why it's important to know your weakness. Lord, I, I, I struggle with this. Lord, can you give me victory? Lord, Lord help me stay out of situations uh, where, where, where that might be easy to sin. Isn't that what our Savior taught us? And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God's never going to lead us to sin. We learned that in James 1, and he sure can lead us out of it. Um, be, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Be consistent in your prayer life. Number four, and we'll close with this, be conscious of your higher calling. When the devil came to him the third time, he took him to an exceeding high mountain and gave him a glimpse of all the kingdoms of the world all the glory of them. And uh, he said, I'll give all of this to you. He's called the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He told Jesus, he said, I'll give it all to you. Just worship me. Just do what I want to do. Honor me. Worship me. And the Savior answered and said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The Savior was committed to the will of his father. He said, I do always those things which please my father. My meat is to do the will of my father which is in heaven. Lord, if it be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You and I need to have this commitment to the will of God for our lives. That what he wants for us is better than what we want. What he wants is more important what is, than what is popular or what is easy or what is pleasurable, that God's way is best. As for God, his way is perfect, the Bible says. And by the way, we've got to be convinced of that truth. We've got to be convinced that God is always good. See, the devil's lie in any temptation is he's not always good. That was the Garden of Eden God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. God's holding something back from you. In the moment that we start doubting the goodness of God, we're in the same spot as Eve and we're considering the forbidden fruit. And it's only a matter of time that we are drawn away by that and enticed. And then we sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death it destroys us destroys our joy destroys our testimony destroys our ministry destroys our families our friendships our marriages sin is a devastating thing the devil's just going to dangle that temptation out there so what do i do i need to be controlled by the holy spirit every day of my life i need to be consumed with the word of god my Bible needs to be more than a book I study to get sermons. It needs to be my meat. It needs to be the vital part of my walk with God personally. 
Be consistent in your prayer life. Be conscious of your higher calling. Be committed to the fact, I belong to him. I belong to him and everything about me is for his glory. Temptation's real. It is a battle that we fight. But the Savior set the example saying, here's what you do. Here's what you do. How many can say this morning, Pastor Bishop, if I were to die today, I know for sure I'd go to heaven. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. Is that your testimony? You look back time and place, you know you got saved. As you put your hand down, would you just marvel at that? Do you realize most of the world doesn't know what you know in that one truth? But somehow God in his wisdom and grace and goodness brought the gospel to your doorstep so you could be saved. Never lose sight of the goodness of God. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, I look forward to a day when I'll be in heaven and the devil won't be there and the flesh won't be there and there won't be a bad crowd and temptation will be a thing of the past. Probably won't even be a memory. I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, I live in this world. This flesh wants to do wrong. Lust against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. And Lord, I face the same battle as everyone in this room. But thank you that you have not left us without hope. You have not left us without the tools that we might endure, be victorious, and overcome. But Lord, a closed Bible isn't going to help us. We have access to God through prayer, but unprayed prayers do nothing. We have a Holy Spirit living inside of us, but if we stifle his voice to do our own thing, it's not helping us much. Lord, I pray that this morning there'd be something stirred in the heart of everyone who just raised their hand and said, I'm saved and I know it. That there'd be something in us saying, I do not want to fail. I don't want to stumble and fall. I don't want to yield to temptation. I don't want to deal with that battle of guilt and regret. Lord, you've laid it out for us in Scripture. You've told us to be sober, to be vigilant. You've given us the tools to help us to apply them. And Lord, I pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we might know a greater level of spiritual victory than we've ever known. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, just for a moment.